Happy Easter, everybody. It's probably the most important Christian holiday. It's certainly my favorite. Not because of often what we associate with Easter, but because of what the holiday actually means for Christians. I hope you know that this day isn't really about bunnies and eggs. It's also not about eating way too much candy. Right? Do you all know what that's from? Yes. Good. The, the day for Christians is actually about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These other things, the bunny and the eggs and the eating all the candy, those are just things we've borrowed from other pagan traditions. doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing what Christianity did historically is instead of removing themselves completely from the cultures they were in, instead of that, they found ways to celebrate as the culture around them celebrated, but they infused those holidays with Christian ideas. And so even though the bunny and all that, that might have come from you know different pagan religious celebrations, Christians decided because, I mean, think about the timing of it all. Easter is the time of year where things begin to sprout, birds begin to fly, things begin to come alive. And so they began to use it to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. What happened? Anyway. Ah. And so Easter, while it began as a pagan holiday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on this holiday, which is why some people call it Resurrection Sunday instead of Easter. So in teaching the topic of the resurrection, you can take many approaches. You can take the apologetics approach, which is here, one click, where in this approach you discuss all the evidence for the resurrection it proves who he, who he is, that he was telling the truth, that he is God. And that's a really important thing. There are some good books on that. There's that movie called Case for Christ that came out recently. These different ways of looking at all the evidence for the resurrection, and that can increase our faith. That's a good approach. I'm not going to take that approach today, but that's a good one. Another approach is to take the narrative approach where you take the whole story of Jesus and try to boil it down into one sermon, the good things he did and how, how much the Jews hated him, and, and all of that, and then the crucifixion, and the resurrection, and what it all means, and then an altar call, everybody come to the front. That's a good approach, too. I'm not taking that today. You can also take the uh, futuristic approach, where you talk about the fact that because Christ raised from the dead, we have eternal life. And so you talk about eternal life, and the importance of that, and how we wouldn't have eternal life if Christ hadn't risen. And that's a good approach. But the approach that I want to take today is a bit different. What I want to talk about is the significance of the resurrection for today. In the present moment of our lives, while we're still walking around, living our lives, interacting with others, what does a resurrection mean for us today? Is it just something that we have to talk about once a year, and that's it? Or is there more to it than that? So, not just apologetically or historically or futuristically, but today, in this present moment. So the title today is Walking in Newness of Life. And if you were all paying attention last year really closely, this might seem similar because I gave a similar talk last year, but kind of different. So, walking in newness of life. First, the backstory. If my clicker will work. So, the backstory or what happened to us. 
We're going to start in Romans 6, starting in verse 1. If you, want to, if you have Bibles and you want to flip there, you can. If you have phones and you want to swipe there or whatever, you can. Romans 6, it'll also be on the screen. Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. Sorry, I didn't keep my slides going. Hopefully you can follow along. So we'll stop there halfway through verse 4. Just stop for a moment. What Paul is saying here is that if we're a believer, if we follow Christ, we've had a kind of crucifixion. Good morning. Come on in. Good morning. Welcome. <laughs> so what Paul is saying here in Romans 6 is that if we're believers, we ourselves have gone through a kind of crucifixion. If we believed in Christ, we've confessed our sins, and we become followers of Jesus, that means we've been united with Christ. And part of what it means to be united with Christ is to be united in His death. Like Paul said here, Therefore, we've been buried with Him through baptism into death. So there's this part of our old life that if we are believers, there's this aspect of what that means that we're united with Christ in every which way so that as He was crucified, our old life was crucified. And if you've watched um, this re recent TV series, The Chosen, Mary Magdalene says this in a great way. She says, I was one way. And now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened between was Him. So there's this aspect of Christian life where we died. Our old life died. And it's really important to recognize that. That had to happen. And Paul explains that in Romans 6, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, and here's why, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. <coughs> so, we were slaves to sin. Sorry about that. We couldn't not sin before. We, we were unable to not stop sinning. We were born in it. We lived under this curse. And it wasn't just that we had done bad things. We were bad people as sinners. And from God's eyes, even if we had certain aspects that were morally good, I got to talk with someone this week who said to me, if, if God is real, then I know I'm going to heaven because I've been a really good person. And we all know as Christians that it's not about our good deeds because if you started today and only did good things the rest of your life, that still wouldn't wash away what happened before. You still need something to, to take this stuff away over here. And so we were bound to that. We needed Christ to save us, and His death on the cross paid that price. And so Paul says in Romans that part of what happened in this exchange when we put our faith in Christ wasn't just that He died and paid the price, but that our old life died with Him. There's this joke, where does Paul mention his father in the Bible? My old man was crucified with Christ. Sorry, pastor joke. My old man was crucified with Christ, but he means my old self. That's a King James Version joke. So our, 
Our old life was crucified with Christ. But that cannot be the end. I mean, think about it. What if Jesus just died on the cross and that was it? We'd know him today as a philosopher, maybe. But if he died and stayed dead, that wouldn't be the full gospel, right? In the same way, if our old self died and that was it, that wouldn't be the end of our story. What comes next is what's called newness of life. And that's what Paul describes in Romans 6, verse 4. So we read the first half of verse 4. Let's read the next half of it. So now newness of life defined in Romans 6, verse 4. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might walk in newness of life. There's the term when we find it. So we understand the problem of sin and how Christ paid the price. We understand how we can receive forgiveness through faith and that we're saved from hell. We understand all those things. But Paul here is talking about the present moment. Before we've been raptured, before we've gone to heaven, before we've passed from this life, and in this present moment, walking in newness of life. There's a different verse that kind of shares the same idea. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. New things have come. That's also part of Easter. The new life. Being a new creation. So our old self is crucified and buried with Christ and we've been given new life. We are a new creature. The old things have passed away. How did this happen? How did this begin? How do we begin this new life? Now the order is important because we'll talk next about what it looks like to walk in newness of life, but you've got to know what comes first. It isn't like we decided one day to get our acts together and then God accepted us, right? That's not how it happened. What happened is we had faith first. We got saved first, and then God begins to change us. Through faith, our old life ends, and a new life begins, and it starts there. Our new life doesn't begin when we decided to get our act together. Our new life begins when we put faith in Christ, and our old life passes away, and now, behold, new things have come. So, newness of life. There's some interesting verses that Paul shares that don't sound like they make sense at first. If it's true that our old life is gone... We have this whole new life now. Paul, in the same chapter, down in verse 11, says some interesting things like, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Well, if I am dead to sin, why do I need to consider myself dead to sin? Or the next verse, therefore don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Why thought I was set free through my own death from the sin? So what does that mean? Or verse 13, don't go on presenting the members of your body as sin to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. So all of these things seem at first like, well, if, if my old self passed away and I'm now walking in newness of life, then what do these verses mean? God wants to give us the answer. God's calling on Pam's phone. God's calling. All right. So, these verses at first seem like they should go without... If we have this newness of life, why must we still be told these things? But if you look at Romans 7, Paul begins to talk about the struggle. After saying these things, he goes on to say things like, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. And the things that I want to do, 
I keep not doing them. And then he says in Romans 7, I think it's 24, 25, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So how does that jive with the old self dead? We're new, we have this newness, we're a new creation, and yet this struggle. So this struggle I've often talked about as kind of like the in-between state or the now and not yet state. The more technical term is sanctification. But we can think of our life as a journey. Because we have begun this journey. We have crossed over from death into life. Romans 6 said so. And we now know where we are headed. It's just that we haven't fully arrived there yet. We're becoming more like Christ and less like the world. And we are well on our way, but we have not yet arrived. And so Colossians 3.10 says, We have put on, put on your new self who is being renewed. So part of this life is this ongoing, it has happened. And from God's perspective, from the past to the future to the end, we're saved, we're sealed, we're set, we're going there, we're in, we're in the in crowd, we're saved. And yet in this present moment... We still have this struggle. So there's a difference between being the new creation and walking in newness of life. Right? That walking verb, the Bible often uses walking to represent living. So the life is a walk or it's a journey. So we have to be walking in newness of life. We are a new creation who also must now walk in newness of life. So, the question is, how do we do this? How do we win the struggle? How do we win? How do we, on Resurrection Sunday, talking about newness of life and thinking about the past week and whatever sinful things we had going on, how do we win going into the next week, going into the next year? How do we walk in newness of life? The first thing I want to say about walking in newness of life is that it's really about a new identity where Paul says, your old self passed away. So you now, the you that is really you, is the new creation. And I say that because Paul says something very interesting in Romans 7, verse 17, talking about his sin. He says, it's no longer I who am doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. The reason that's important is because too often, when you go through struggles, or you know somebody who is, whether it's an addiction or whatever, you get in the habit of saying, that's just who I am. And the problem with saying that is you begin to believe it. And when you believe that's just who I am, then you get stuck there. If instead, like Paul, you say, that is no longer who I am. I still struggle with that, but the person who I am is sealed in Christ and is already victorious. You have a new identity in Christ. Don't accept that this is just who I am anymore. It's not. The second thing I want to say about this newness of life is that the struggle against sin is best described as an indirect struggle. In other words, chasing after what you love. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. The best way to stop sinning and start obeying Christ is to start chasing what you love. Now, Directly fighting against sin is more like this, keeping a list in your pocket of do's and don'ts all the time and walking and going, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that, I must do this, I must do this. That's what it looks like to fight a direct fight against sin. Now, the indirect fight is much different than that. 
Here's a clue. Matthew 6.21, sorry. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Desires precede or come before actions. You do, at the end of the day, what you want to do. You're interested, at the end of the day, in what you're passionate about. If you're into sports, does anybody ever need to tell you to talk about sports? Like, when you're excited when your team won, does anyone need to remind you, hey, go on Twitter and say, hey, my team won, or whatever you do. No one needs to remind you because you're already passionate about that. So your desires come before your actions. And so instead of keeping a list in your pocket of do's and don'ts, we've got to get ahead of that and think about what is the desires inside of us. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's some more great verses about this. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, I personally think this doesn't mean delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you whatever you want. I think it means delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you desires of your heart. I believe He begins to transform your desires as you delight in Him. Psalm 16, 11. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's what it's like when you delight in God and you desire to be with Him and to know Him. And you recognize in His, He has the path of life and His presence is fullness of joy. Or 2 Corinthians 3.18, you may know this one. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. We could have also mentioned Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be transformed, or do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The idea here is that this struggle that we're in, this current fight we have, is not a direct fight. It's not directly fighting against sin. It's more like chasing after what you love. It's a fight for joy. It's a fight for passion. It's a fight for a new awareness that we are dead to sin, we are a new creation. That's our identity. And in the meantime, as we're walking through this life, when we struggle with sin, the best approach is get your eyes on Jesus. The transformation began the moment you believed. And we make progress in it by delighting in God, by loving Him, by chasing what we love. And over time, our desires are transformed and our passions are being changed. So this is the aspect of Easter or Resurrection Sunday that is perhaps not talked about enough because, yes, Jesus Christ came to earth. He was a humble, loving servant. He taught many great things. He healed the sick, gave the blind sight, gave the deaf ears to hear, helped the lame to walk. He was crucified. We know that it was for us that he did that, and he did raise again. But that, that wasn't just for an eternity later. That wasn't just for fire insurance. That was so that today we can walk in newness of life. So the resurrection isn't something we should only celebrate once a year. It's really about a whole new way of living, a whole new perspective on life. It's every day the awareness that I am no longer who I was, but I am this new person. 
And as I keep my eyes on Jesus and I'm reading the Bible and I'm in fellowship and I'm out there in the world and I'm praying to God, I'm asking Him, change my heart. Help me to see the way you see. Help me to speak the way you speak. Help me to have the desires that you want for me. And in that way, it's like when, when Jesus said that if you love God and you love others, you fulfill the entire law. You don't need to keep a list of do's and don'ts in your pocket when you're in line with God spiritually and He's giving you the desires of your heart. You're not going to sin against Him. And you're going to be following His path because you're chasing what you love anyway. That's where your heart's at. So, with Paul, we could then say, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. We don't chase after God to get something else out of Him, right? We chase after God to get Christ. He's the aim. He's the end. He's not some means to some other end. He is the ultimate end of all things. So as our desires change, this begins to change how we act and how we speak and how we relate to others, how we live. And it's not because we are walking around thinking of all these things we're supposed to do. It's because we're chasing after what we love. And this is the blessing of the resurrected life. He was resurrected. We are in newness of life. We are on a journey, but it has implications for today, how we live today. So the sun has already risen, but as we've had the sunrise service and we've watched the sun come up, we're remembering Christ rose. We're also remembering that we've died. We've been given new life by Christ. And the best way to show him our gratitude is to say today, God, I want to from this day forward think of you first and allow you to guide me and lead my steps and change my passions to be more like you.